Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. To games on film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies, and we have got a very uh, important video game movie today. I don't know if "important" is quite the right word. Maybe a cult classic is the right word. But then, cult classic—is it really a classic? I—I I don't know. What film is it, Rory? The film we're tackling today is *The Wizard* from 1989, a family adventure film, I think. <laughs> I think. Well, maybe when we get to the back of the box, we will be able to um, see exactly how someone described it. But yes, maybe cult classic, I think mainly because of the video games that are featured within it. Because this is a video game movie ostensibly in that it has kids playing video games and it climaxes in a video game tournament. But I think it certainly speaks to, I guess, people of a certain age now and maybe the age they were as kids at the time of release, particularly because of its heavy, I'd say, product placement um, (laughs) of the Nintendo Entertainment System in particular. Yeah, in my notes, I've described this film as Rain Man meets Mac and Me because it features... I suppose a child who's either autistic or has some form of PTSD who just happens to be a marvel at video games, but only if they're on available on the Nintendo Entertainment System. <laughs> and then there's a, a section where they ride in a hostess truck, which again just seems to be sponsored by Nintendo Hostess Cakes and Universal Studios. And it has two new kids on the block songs so my wife who was watching this with me was saying that um they must be using like the morris star back catalogue because bobby brown's in there as well okay she's uh she was pretty attuned to the 80s soundtrack in this film (laughs) (laughs) well this is a universal studios release and it got me thinking about the relationship between universal and nintendo because of course more recently There's the new Mario movie, which has been um, created with Illumination Studios and Universal Pictures. And speaking of Universal Studios in terms of a theme park, of course, the Super Nintendo World at Universal Studios Japan Mm. in Osaka is currently under development. And recent images of uh, the coins rotating in the sort of testing that they're doing. And also I saw um, very recently... There's an animatronic Yoshi running around a tree. Just Oh, does he look like the one in the film? No. <laughs> he doesn't look like a like a sickly Jurassic Park reject. No, it's the it's the bright, cheerful green Yoshi that we all know and love. It's I, I have seen some behind the scenes photos of that park as well, and it is like it's like being in Mary Poppins where they step into the cartoon. It is quite magical. Mm. And I think the only thing which could ruin it 
is a cloudy day <laughs> because <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a Mario game where it's just like a miserable wet afternoon. Maybe they'll do augmented reality and they'll uh, put eyes in all the clouds as well. So you look up to the sky and then the clouds have little blinking eyes or just like a Mario world. Or maybe the foods you eat. <laughs> It'll be like sausage party where you're like eating screaming living things. And you're yeah. not even safe even if you're a vegetarian. That tomato has a family and you've destroyed <laughs> it. But we digress. Very much looking forward to Super Nintendo World, but I guess this might have been one of the first times that Universal Pictures and Nintendo collaborated on anything, because apparently the genesis of this film, not Sega Genesis, but the genesis (laughs) of this film uh, was that there had been some delays to the North American releases of certain Nintendo titles due to, I think, a shortage of... um, parts for the cartridges so that allowed for some time between super mario brothers 3 being released in the states and for them to build up some hype towards it because it came out in japan in october 1988 and eventually came out in america february 1990 this film itself came out december 1989 super mario brothers 3 is the big climax to this movie So the way this film was marketed and the reason why I think it holds a place in people's hearts as a cult classic was that it features a lot of Nintendo games, as we mentioned, but the big reveal is that it's the first time that Super Mario Bros. 3 has been seen in America, even though there had been magazines reviewing it since its release in Japan a year prior, (laughs) this was like a big you know, making a big song and dance about the new Mario title uh, in the context of the film, uh, at least. Kids today, they don't realise that uh, when we were kids, you couldn't go onto IGN to look at the latest gameplay trailer. You had to go to the cinema and watch a movie. And quite often you'll be disappointed when the movie had no Nintendo (laughs) at the end of it. It was just by lucky chance, by lucky chance, this one had Mm. Mario 3. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, though, that is why this film is considered a bit of a cult classic by our age, because there is a sort of nostalgic aura around it. And we and people like us do remember that to see a video game in another medium in a film was extremely exciting. Yes, in particular, I think, because Super Mario Bros. 3, I mean, while this film features a bunch of titles such as uh, Mega Man and Contra, um, Double Dragon, as we discussed the movie of on a previous episode, that uh, is sort of the first game, I think, which is properly highlighted in the movie. But it's Super Mario Bros. 3, which is the big finale. And at least to us, it's it's one of our all-time favourites. And I remember at the time it being publicized and it being a sort of coveted title and to this day it's a game which many uh, Nintendo fans hold very dear and close to their hearts it's definitely it's one of the all-time faves I think it's one of my top 10 games of all time I think it's certainly the Mario game that I am most fond of I think if you look at the entire Mario series the first Mario Brothers game set the stage or sort of introduced the concepts and by the time we got to mario brothers 3 
they had been refined to perfection and and all the other things were introduced like having a map where you could go around the level uh items you could use to uh, you, know, you you could mm. decide when to use and things like that loads of things were introduced and super mario world is obviously loved for a lot of reasons but i think it really is just mario brothers 3 extra or ex <laughs> so but yeah i remember we had a vhs cassette off big with tom hanks recorded off the telly and i kept that for a good long while because halfway through there was a commercial break with a advert for mario mm. brothers 3 where loads of faces shouted mario mario and then the camera pulled up into space and all the people like a halifax advert <laughs> had formed into an image and the image was mario mario it's not an understatement to say that a big part of this film's appeal is mario brothers 3 i did wonder if the film would have the same sort of cult status if the last game they played was something like you know the infamous where's waldo video game for the nez <laughs> have you heard of that no oh well imagine where's waldo or where's wally the book but with nez graphics and that's it it's atrocious <laughs> i have imagined it and i have dismissed it yes can you imagine just an arena full of people watching jimmy the young kid stare up onto a big screen and people like whispering that they could spot him but jimmy can't <laughs> in fact jimmy being a whiz kid at video games i imagine that would test his skill because it's more of an observation round than video games <laughs> but then maybe he's just naturally gifted to whatever the video game is he can do it even if it's his observation if it was like a teach yourself french video game he would suddenly be fluent yeah, I sort of wonder, like, the way the film is, and we'll get into it properly uh, shortly, but it almost seems like it could have been anything that he is prenaturally gifted at. It doesn't really make a difference. The video game stuff is quite separate, almost, from the other stuff, and, yeah, it sort of mm. plays around with those things, but it could have been, like, he's really good at go-karting, or, yes. you know, he's really good at fishing i don't know something where there's some kind of challenge at the end and it's you know. bracingly separate it's it's so separate there's <laughs> no reason whatsoever that this family drama is connected awkwardly to the video game tournament i got a real sense of when are we going to get to the fireworks factory in this <laughs> film i think i wrote that exact same note whether like is this a film kids actually want to watch because there's a lot of shoe leather to get to the fireworks factory <laughs> But I suppose they, they have gone with video games and video game tournaments. And it did make me think of how nowadays, like the concept of people watching other people play and like esports is obviously a big deal and watching people stream and having like arenas filled with people watching competitive gameplay. Mm. And what this climax in the tournament reminded me a lot of was things like Games Master mm. and uh, Games World where you had, like, Big Boy Barry and <laughs> all these other kind of um, legendary game competitors playing against, like, small children and stuff. Um, I guess there was a little taste of that in Joysticks, another film we covered earlier, but obviously this is far more family-friendly, I suppose. Funnily enough, I feel Joysticks, in my memory, had more video gamey stuff in than this film does. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the poster for the wizard, or at least one poster I saw, said you could become the Nintendo wizard asked at the toy department of Meyer and Grace Brothers stores for details. And actually a year later, after the film came out, there was the Nintendo World Championships in 1990, which is perhaps best known now for producing one of the most valuable NES cartridges in existence because there was a special cartridge made which had special versions of the games that were... Like tournament-made, tournament-only versions yes, of the games. Yes, so uh, the games were... I thought you were going to say a Legend of Zelda cartridge made out of actual solid gold, rather well, than just that, it w- you know, fake Well, gold. the most valuable version of this Nintendo World Championship cartridge is gold. Not actual gold, but, you know, like how... Uh, was it Zelda 2, I think? Um, had a sort of golden mm. cartridge for the NES? I think a lot of Zelda cartridges were gold. Yeah. But specifically the NES one. Mm-hmm. But the Nintendo World Championships, yes, they had these special cartridges where it'd be special versions of the games, which were Super Mario Brothers, Rad Racer, and Tetris. And this was brought back to the Nintendo World Championships in 2015 and 2017. And uh, the game NES Remix 2 on the Wii U also has a special Nintendo World Championships mode, which is sort of evoking that era but the nintendo world championships in 1990 was actually held at universal studios too not quite in such a glorious battle dome but uh it was just interesting how this film in a way bled into nintendo's real plans do you think the wizard then created esports as we know it today uh i think that's definitely too much credit (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's just interesting how this film has that sort of element to it and how you know just comparing how the film depicts that and how just in the late 80s early 90s you had these video game tv shows and i got that vibe very much of like games master games world etc from the way it was depicted here as opposed to the very flashy big scale stuff you get nowadays uh in terms of esports I must admit, I don't tend to watch much esports, um, but I did watch a video of, I think, the, like a recent winner of a pinball world championship, and it was absolutely a little kid versus like a dude who'd been doing it for decades, and it was like the wholesomest thing ever because he did, the little kid did win, and you know the older guy was just sort of thrilled for the little kid as well, and he was thrilled. It was just. So wonderful. So maybe I'll get into that a bit more. Be up at 3am watching eSports. There is a scene midway through this film where businessmen scoff at the very idea that young kids could be better at video games than (laughs) they are. And I found that hilarious. It's like, where do you find the time to play video games, kid? But also like the video game tournament at the end, it's just kids. But like the prize fund is $50,000. You'd think... That's a lot of money for a child. (laughs) And apparently in the 80s, that was enough to buy... The half the money was going to go to the girl in this film called Hayley. And she says that's going to be enough to buy a house. And I was trying to work out the sums. Is half of 50,000 enough to buy a house in the 80s? I don't know. I have no idea of economics. (laughs) I don't know. My economics is from the 80s where I thought I could get money headbutting bricks. Well, apparently plumbing as a profession pays very well, but I didn't realise it was just from smacking your head against a wall. I think a lot of people get into the plumbing game 
in the hope that they might become the official plumber of a princess in a faraway kingdom in a parallel universe. Much like most butlers secretly hope their uh, master will be Batman. (laughs) Oh, please be Batman, please be Batman, please be Batman. Shall we get stuck into the film itself? I've got a VHS box. Do you actually have a VHS box in your hands? No, I've got it on a on a screen. I can't imagine a DVD version of this looking brand new because I, I always imagine it in like one of those oversized white rental boxes with slightly peeling paper mm-hmm. and slightly torn plastic covering. But uh... right, well, lay it on me. What does uh, the back of the box have to say about the wizard? Well, the tagline is. They're on a cross-country adventure to the world's greatest video championship. It's more than a game. It's the chance of a lifetime. And Los Angeles Times says, bright, fast, and energetic. Those are like not the words I'd use to describe this film. (laughs) Corey's taking his brother Jimmy on a ride. These two boys already traveled more than 80 miles across the state. We've hired someone to find him. What's his problem? He's just giant. But Jimmy's got a secret. You got 50,000 on Double Dragon? That could make this the ride of their lives. Look at him. He's a wizard. He's headed for the video championship. <laughs> this guy? What is that? Power glove. Yeah, well, uh, just keep your power gloves up for all right. With a touch of romance. I am not kissing a boy. And a ton of trouble. That's you. But too late. Sorry about that, you maniac! They'll get there any way they can. Jimmy! Here we come! It's Jimmy! Come here! Now what do you think you're doing to him? All his life, you've been telling him to do what you want him to do. How about once you ask him what he wants to do, huh? Now, video Armageddon. It's going to take a lot of guts. You can do it! A little magic. You're the And the wizard, Prince Savage. The wizard. But pray continue. Fred Savage stars in this warm-hearted family adventure that features the excitement and thrills of video game competition. Corey, Savage, refuses to let his emotionally disturbed younger brother Jimmy, Luke Edwards, be institutionalised. And the two run off together. They soon join forces with a resourceful girl, Jenny Lewis, who notices that Jimmy has an uncanny knack for video games. Evading their parents and a sinister bounty hunter, the trio head for a climactic showdown at the video game championships in California, where Jimmy can realise a dream no one believed he was capable of. It's satisfying entertainment for the whole family, co-starring Bo Bridges and Christian Slater. I like satisfying entertainment. <laughs> it's like, if that was the quote from a newspaper, you wouldn't put it on the box. It sounds like something Alan Partridge calls sex satisfying entertainment (laughs) it's accurate to how the film is but it's weird to sort of big up the movie about kids entering a video game championship um by saying 
Corey doesn't want to get his disturbed younger brother institutionalised. And hijinks ensue. <laughs> I had a discussion with, with my wife about this. There's, this film presented quite a few moral questions in general. Because, I mean, I don't tend to watch these films with my wife during uh, when we're doing po- this podcast. But obviously we're in lockdown, so she's had to sit through a few. And I found it really odd how everyone seemed to be really against Jimmy uh, being sent to um, a home. They kept saying, don't send him to a home, don't send him to a home. And I'm thinking, I'm sure healthcare professionals should know what's good for Jimmy. But uh, my wife was taking Corey's side in this. And I was not against Jimmy going to a home. But then you see the home and it's grey walls and there's pictures on the wall which say things like, learn to relax. And they're just <laughs> sat in front of televisions all day. And so, yes, they did sort of make it seem more like, um, I don't know, Arkham Asylum (laughs) as opposed to a place of healing. Yeah. Well, spoilers for The Wizard from here on out. This film is a very strange family adventure, if that's what the bots decide to call it. Because just to get a general feeling of my overall view of the film because we've seen this before and I remember it being very boring. And what's changed? Well not a lot but I I sort of I feel like I get more what it's going for this time I guess last time I watched it was maybe about 10 years ago but Mm. I still don't think it makes it any better but My feeling is that usually kids' films are sort of a load of nonsense and then they'll throw in, like, a few jokes, like, incongruously added for the grown-ups. You know, just, like, suddenly Mm -hmm. there'll be a reference to The Godfather or The Exorcist or that kind of thing. But here instead we have, like, a drama about a family tragedy. We have a small boy whose twin sister tragically drowned in front of his eyes. Mm. We have... The mother has remarried and now has custody of this small child while the dad is left with the half-brother and another brother of this small boy. And, you know, it's I appreciate there's all this kind of, like, complexity and layers of emotion and wants and desires from all these different family members. But then it's like, is this really a kid's film? I'm not saying we should hide kids away from these sort of issues. I'm just saying, are kids really interested in it with the promise of video games on the poster? So it just feels like, here's like a Hallmark Channel family drama, but we'll sprinkle in some video games so the kids stay interested while the parents who've taken them are like, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Oh yeah, that's really sad. (laughs) Well, I think kids, especially kids who might have been in this experience, may find this sort of film really interesting. I think they would say, that's me, but... There's two problems. First of all, uh, as you say, this is advertised as a video game movie. It is not advertised as a family drama. And so it seems whenever the family drama stuff encroaches onto the video game road movie, it seems really annoying. (laughs) And I just got really bored of like the dad and Christian Slater going across the country trying to find the kids. If this film was two films, if it was just the video game road movie, I think it would be 
more powerful and more of an adventure if the kids were on their own and you never saw the parents. Yes, it would be a bit unrealistic, but it would be from their perspective and they'd feel truly on their own. But throughout this film, you know the dad and Christian Slater and a bounty hunter and I think Jimmy's uh, mum and stepdad they're all on their on the kids tail so the worst case scenario is really going to be they get found by a grown-up eventually uh, on the flip side the family drama stuff really doesn't stack up because we are first introduced to jimmy during a very lengthy uh, title sequence where he's just walking up the road toward the camera with the with the beautiful Utah backdrop with all the mountains behind him and there's actually some really great music as well and I thought this first five minutes or however long the titles are super duper classy <laughs> the music reminded me of um, there's a song in, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where it goes in time da, 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 da. it sounded a lot to me like you too but not you too <laughs> But anyway, I've got my, my notes here say this first shot with the credits is epic and classy. And then the bad acting is is slightly punches the classiness. But this this kid, he seems to be inexorably pulled towards California. The first thing he says to the cop who picks him up is California. And it seems bizarre to me that nobody asks the kid why California and this family lives in Utah, so they must have only been to California a handful of times. Could they not, like, rack their brains to think, why would you want to go to California? And we learn at the end of the film that the last time the whole family was a unit together was when they all went to California together and to specifically a, a dinosaur exhibit. So there's a family photo which the kid has in the lunchbox he perpetually has with them. And you just... You, if the parent, if, if anyone had just asked this kid, what's in this lunchbox you always have with you? Oh, it's group, it's a load of photos of your dead sister. Maybe that has something to do with your trauma. <laughs> then yeah. this would be a, a much shorter film. But no one asks the question. And like Fred Savage, his character spends half the film like bulldozing Jimmy's um, methods of healing <laughs> because he likes to make puzzles jimmy and every time jimmy is making like a, a fort out of boxes of popcorn or things like that fred savage like stomps all over him and destroys the attempts at rebuilding yeah because he says that he's obsessed with stacking and building it's just like i don't know it's like the lego movie <laughs> instead not the nez movie and there's nothing about jennifer that connects with video games Jennifer is the twin sister. Jennifer is the twin sister. And I think the thing which would fix this film or would connect the stories would be that uh, Jennifer was well into video games. Perhaps they always played two player video games together and then she died. And the only way he feels close to Jennifer is to play video games. But no, it's completely separate. They had no common interests apart from hanging next, hanging out next to a river and one of them drowned in the river. <laughs> so, yeah, it's sort of suggested when they get the idea when uh, they encounter this uh, girl Haley on their road trip. She basically sort of gives them the idea of the video game tournament. And says like, "How do you prove he doesn't belong in a hospital?" 
make him win a video game tournament. Mm. I'm not sure how those things necessarily align. And it's clearly Jimmy does want to do it because they want to give up and Jimmy pushes them and says, like, no, I want to see this through. And I just like, spoilers for the climax, but Jimmy wins the tournament. I kind of thought he would be like, finally, I can be at peace with the tragic death of my twin sister because I got the high score on Super Mario Bros. 3. It's just oh like... My God. I've got that exact note. I wrote here, <laughs> Jimmy won. His mental problems are all gone now. He could finally forget about his dead sister. Yeah. Video games solve everything. I know we've skipped right to the end, but we're here now. Uh, after leaving the tournament, the whole family is driving home. They find the dinosaur park, which also featured in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the family goes inside this dinosaur. You can go inside a dinosaur where there's a gift shop. And they're all like, where's Jimmy? Where's Jimmy inside this tiny dinosaur? And they ascertain that what Jimmy wants to do all this time, because the video game, the whole film was a waste of time. All Jimmy (laughs) really wanted to do is to place his lunchbox full of family photos. I'm assuming the only family photos they have in this dinosaur where they were last all happy. And then what we don't see is the next morning where the lunchbox is thrown into the trash and we crossfade to a battered photo of Jennifer in the landfill. And it just seems really... <laughs> like I said, circling back to what I was saying, I don't think either section of this film, the video game section or the family section, works entirely on its own. And it's sort of ma- they sort of make less sense together as well. So that's the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh we mentioned some of the cast and characters, but Fred Savage gets top billing above the mm. title and everywhere. And like he was like the biggest child star of the time, I guess, mainly because of the Wonder Years, but also his appearance in like Princess Bride. Very odd to watch this film without hearing his own monologue, <laughs> his own inner monologue. I mean, I think that the kid cast is actually pretty good. No one's like annoying or, or whatever. But um, it's clearly like a Fred Savage vehicle uh, is how this Mm. was like sort of build and stuff. But like in recent years, he has been more behind the scenes. He's directed like uh, lots of TV shows, particularly comedy TV shows. But he's done a few more on-screen appearances. He was in Austin Powers and Goldmember. uh, Yes, I remember now. Along with Christian Slater there for being like two Austin Powers cameo stalwarts <laughs> of course this is our second christian slater movie we've talked about the first being yeah. alone in the dark i was trying to work out like where this was in his career and it was post heathers but i was just kind of wondering why he did this movie and i sort of thought maybe he just it was easy and he could get like to play nintendo <laughs> well i read that this came out in 1989 as did heathers it was the year of heathers so he hadn't done many movies. He had done a few, but uh, it was... I think this was the period when he was becoming a movie guy. Okay. But I also read that both Christian Slater and Bo Bridges, who plays uh, the dad, neither were a fan of video games, and then playing this got them addicted. So the, the story of the dad rings true in terms of Bo Bridges. In fact, at the very end of the film... In this film, over the course of the film, on the road trip, Christian Slater just so happens to bring his Nintendo Entertainment System with him. 
I think he finds it in the back of the truck. And um, I'm going to say, I'm going to allow that because our Nez is very sturdy and lived maybe 35 years before dying. <laughs> um, but um, I half expected when the final three contestants of the game tournament was announced, I thought the dad would be one of the contestants. They would announce <laughs> Jimmy, Lucas, the power glove kid, and uh, late entry, Jimmy's dad. <laughs> and then yeah, you'd have, you, to, pl- you'd have his... to play for Jimmy's dad's love. Problem is, is that uh, Jimmy's dad was too busy playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when he should have been playing Ninja Gaiden because that was the qualifying mm. game. That was his mistake. Otherwise, he would have been there. But yes, Bo Bridges, who we may talk about again because he appears in the Matt's Payne movie starring Mark Wahlberg. But I guess I, I, I think we probably know Bo Bridges less so as just being brother of Jeff, although obviously he's had his own sort of big career. But I guess the Sand Kings episode of The Outer Limits is like our main Bo Bridges yes. touchstone. I was thinking about this today. The Outer Limits and supposing what would the world be like if someone bred scorpions with angry faces is that am i remembering that correctly something like that apparently i i didn't realize but i read that it's based on a short story by george rr R. martin oh wow <laughs> is george rr R. martin a gamer at all he's a gamer thrones oh god yes no very good i imagine he's well into his larping but the, they had, he had to stop doing that because the body count got too high <laughs> I mean, this film, though, this film is full of people from that thing I saw because it's got um, in like a non-speaking role. Is it Alice and Jenny? I didn't know if it was her. I thought it was. But then I tried to look it up and I couldn't find her name related to this film anywhere. But she plays Mm. there's like a waitress in a diner and it looks exactly like Alice and Jenny. But Mm. I couldn't confirm that one way or the other unless you found something. you know what? I'm. Just, I was just convinced it was her. But Anderson Jenny, I know she plays um, a character in Drop Dead Gorgeous, the mockumentary, and also featuring in that is the fella who plays Denise Richards' dad, and also the stepdad in this, who's got this real. I don't have his name sadly. Sam McMurray. He just looks like a dad, like a full-blown American dad. He would play American Dad in an American Dad live-action movie. Yeah, he's got good dad asshole vibe one of the other diner managers or waitresses they encounter is played by beth grant who yes i probably best know from donnie darko as sparkle motion mum <laughs> recently as a big star trek fan i learned that she's the mother of uh, an actress called mary shifo who is in a star trek discovery playing a klingon so it broke my little trekkie brain okay Another actor I recognised was, um, oh God, he played the trucker named Spanky. <laughs> yes, Frank McRae. Frank McRae, known as Spanky in this film. I know him as Sharky from Licence to Kill. So he only mm-hmm. plays characters with that sort of a name. But um, he plays a trucker because the girl, Haley, she knows a lot about truckers, apparently. She knows about the trucker's code. And I just really wanted to... F- film with spanky and all the misadventures he gets into i'm thinking sort of like big trouble in little china where he goes on these all these escapades somehow getting embroiled with um 
I want to say with young kids, but I don't know. <laughs> you want a Spanky spin-off. A Spanky spin-off. But I felt really sad for Spanky because he basically gets kicked out of a casino for gambling for the kids because Haley is just shouting instructions to Sharky as he places bets on roulette. And they, he seems to still walk away with his winnings. So with With $10... They win I don't know how much and they give him $10, which is like a massive fuck you. <laughs> I don't know. I have a problem with money in this film. We've mentioned the prize money. Um, their whole road trip really starts because Corey can't afford the $200 plus it would cost to travel across the country by bus. I can't believe in the 80s it cost over $200 to travel across the country. That's 200 dollars for two child's tickets mm. on a bus and it's like utah to california i mean utah is it's not like it's on the east coast or something it's still midwest ish right i thought that was highly overpriced i could have looked at where utah is i'm sorry to our american listeners i was just distracted because all of the wonderful vistas of utah reminded me of hereditary which i rewatched recently and that's got a lot of stunning backgrounds of the long long roads and mountainous and ominous backdrops <laughs> and i just thought yeah maybe it's set in the same universe utah <laughs> <laughs> so is hereditary part of the wizard verse or the wizard is part of the hereditary verse Mm, I don't know. I don't want to delve too much further into that because I don't want to spoil hereditary. No. <laughs> but yes, the the whole motivation of the film is Corey trying to rescue his brother Jimmy and they manage to escape, as you said, stowing away in a bread truck. A wonder bread truck, which is basically sugary bread. Yeah. I mean, I'm a diabetic and... I in the UK you, we don't put sugar in our bread or, or not to the vast amount they do in the states but I I took a holiday to Barbados and I just had a nice and innocent looking piece of bread I would admit it tasted like the most delicious bit of bread I've ever had but it made my blood sugar go through the roof I almost got diabetes all over again I also noted that I think I mean Fred Savage Corey he brings his skateboard with him on this adventure but then the skateboard kind of disappears after a while I think they stopped being cool during the production of the movie. <laughs> Power glove is forever, but you never see people using skateboards anymore, do you? <laughs> yeah, so the, the idea is they're going to try and make their money to get to California. And it seems that they do that through this kind of, as you mentioned, like gambling and betting people that they can beat them. At Jimmy can beat them at whatever video game is playing at the arcades if there's one lesson from this film is that you can do anything using gambling because that's how they get across the country yeah I, i'm not sure what the message of this film is is really is that like betting on video games is okay it's at that bus station with the overpriced tickets that jimmy shows off his skills for the first time playing double dragon and like Corey's so excited, like, you got 50,000 on Double Dragon? 50,000? I've got no idea if that's a high score. It doesn't sound like a lot. Well, 50,000 to me sounded like a lot. It sounded like an impossible amount of points to get on the first level of Double Dragon. Now, I'm sure people are going to say, Harry, actually, that's that you get 50,000 points for beating up one guy. I don't know. But um, it did make me wonder 
if this film was made by people who at all were interested in video games i i haven't done that research on the director i've had a look through his stuff his name's todd holland he is known for the wizard but also uh, malcolm in the middle which makes a certain kind of sense mm-hmm. but um you know i'm gonna give this film a little bit of credit it's a late 80s film. It reminds me of when Mission Impossible started showing me emails in 1996 and they were like so exciting. And I I think there's a, there's a lot of game terminology or use of the wrong word in this. I'm, I'm just going to let pass, even though it kind of annoyed me. It caused me to twitch. I think the problem is that they're using like points and it's such a sort of arbitrary way of detecting like progress in a game. So like with the Double Dragon Challenge this girl that they encounter, this drifter who uh, her dad's a trucker and that's why she's on her own because she's trying to get a bus ticket back home. Uh, Haley, uh, she bets that she can beat him at Double Dragon and then it's like mm-hmm. she gets 252,000 points and Jimmy gets 298,000. But the thing is, is that even in the final climactic tournament, the points keep on changing and the announcer says they've got this amount of points, but what's on screen is different. So I think you're always yes. going to have a losing battle when you use something like that, when it could just be like, finish the level, then it's very clear, you know, who's won and who's lost. No, actually, that sequence did annoy me because there was a, a lady PA voice saying the time countdown. And when she said two minutes remaining, the t- countdown clock clearly showed one minute. Yeah. And I thought, oh, maybe they're not meant. Maybe they're not meant to match up. But then when it comes down to the ten-second timer, it's absolutely meant to match up. Nowadays, they just fits it in post. So Haley is played by Jenny Lewis, who mm-hmm. is probably better known uh, nowadays as a uh, musician. She was in the band Rilo Kylie, and most recently. Mm-hmm has been doing solo work and I highly recommend her most recent album on the line. It was one of my favorite albums of the past couple years. Um, but I think she's pretty good in this role. Again, I don't think any of the kids are like too annoying or I think that's sort of the tricky thing you're going to get with sort of kids being the sort of leads of movies is that they'll be a little bit insufferable. I didn't find him terribly interesting though. Sadly, I do think Haley's uh, a lot of Haley's characterization and dialogue makes it painfully obvious this is written by a man in the 80s because she seems weirdly sexualized and like she talks about her mother and she says her mother was a showgirl and she had great legs I've got great legs what do you think <laughs> it's like Ew. and um the one jaw-dropping moment in this film for me was in the casino when she's trying to lose the tail of this uh, bounty hunter guy who is who's trying to catch Jimmy and she shouts He touched my breast! What the hell are you doing? No! I didn't, no, I, I didn't touch anything! You can't touch anything! You can't have the kid! The kid is... What are you, I got a letter of custody for that kid right here in my pocket! What are you doing? Put me down! Engaging Mr. Johnny Love and immediately the cops fall upon him and take him away they don't get any statement from Haley, which i guess is progressive because you know okay they, they believe her but then later on the 
um what's the name of the bounty hunter putnam yeah putnam he's on the phone and he's muttering to himself saying i touched her breast she doesn't have breasts which i just don't think would hold up in your defense it's like (laughs) what do you mean i touched her it's really ew and uh, Haley thinks Corey is really gentlemanly for saying to Lucas, like the bully kid, not to fondle her with a power glove. And I just think mm, any anyone would do that, really. I think anyone would like say that's not cool. But maybe I'm wrong. Again, I've got a very low opinion of men at the moment. <laughs> yeah, because later on they're talking about how with the prize money from the video game tournament, they could buy a house, etc. And Corey mm-hmm. says, it's like the adventures of Link. He has to find Zelda. You have to find a house. And she says, boy, is that sexist. And Corey says, it's not sexist. It's romantic. That's the whole lampshading thing. He sort of leans in for a kiss. And she's like, I'm not kissing a boy. And he goes, a girl, maybe. And she's like, smart ass. And then kisses him anyway. And I thought, yeah, okay, is this film progressive? in some way like they have like the video game tournament at the end they've got lots of girls playing games and i thought oh okay you know it's getting rid of this idea that it's just boys that play video games but then at the same time when they get to reno in the casino there's an arcade for kids but it's this weird parallel Bugsy malone style world where there's underage waitresses handing out candy and fishnet stockings yeah Corey's like hey, keep the change while he buys himself uh. some Tootsie Rolls or something. It's just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to answer your question, is the wizard progressive? No. <laughs> <laughs> at, at all. It's a world where mental health is its just a plot device. The one black character is taken advantage of by three snot-nosed kids. Yeah, not good. Well, shall we talk about the bounty hunter yeah i keep i keep calling him bounty hunter but what what is he exactly again this is another topic of discussion i had with my missus where there's a line um let me just find it he says that he retrieves runaways professionally that's his job and then later on Bo bridges yells at him you make money out of little kids you jerk you ought to be shot and I'm like, wait, read between the lines, mate. He makes money out of finding lost, lonely, and probably afraid little kids. And he's doing it because the police won't. So... But also, he's got this real attitude in that, like, I make money if I catch them first. So he tells the dad, don't get in my way. But it's mm. like, it's the dad of the missing child. Yeah. I know he's been hired by the mum and they're, like, in a, you know, they're divorced, whatever. But it's like, jeez. And also, like... If he's like this professional runaway retriever, he's not very good at his job because he basically just goes up to children, grabs them by the shirt and be like, <laughs> have you seen these tiny kids? It's like the creepiest, yeah. most disconcerting way of like finding children. He's just got this real disconcerting energy. I just can't tell whether he's meant to be like a comedy villain. He's a bit bumbling and frenetic and like he screams when his car has been attacked. Um, He's like a shit T-1000. Yeah. Have you seen this boy? (laughs) (laughs) But the actor Will Seltzer, apparently he auditioned to play Luke Skywalker and according to his Wikipedia page, he was the second choice for George Lucas. Oh. But that's according to his Wikipedia page. I've got no idea yeah. whether George Lucas actually thought he was in the running. 
there's a bit at the end when he's pursuing the kids through Universal Studios and they end up in the King Kong ride. Mm-hmm. And I kind of half wanted his character to be crushed underneath the gears of King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and then th- the things get very, very real. <laughs> Five minutes ago, they're on a tour guide uh, tr- cart where the tour guide is saying, to your left, you can see Zaza Gabor and Pee Wee Herman playing romantic leads to the non-existent film. And then suddenly, like a ton of bricks, death enters the fray and that man <laughs> is killed, killed dead. I mean, do you think if these characters, if the grown-up characters had not spent the entire film trying to get under each other's feet... Do you think they would have found the kids? I think like all the grown-ups in this film are either very creepy or very irresponsible or both. Like, oh God, the dads. But also they get to the Universal Studios for the climax and Jimmy's mum and stepdad are there having ice cream. Like, yes. So well, what hu- are you going to do if your kid's missing? You, you know, take your mind off things, go to Universal Studios. <laughs> but so like your child is missing kidnapped potentially by the older brother whatever but like your kids are missing you've hired a professional to go look for them so you just go on holiday to like a family theme park it's just well you know i don't have a kid but i can imagine it's really annoying going to universal studios and not being allowed to go on a lot of the rides because your kid is too small you can't leave them by the side of the ride you so they're probably jumping at the opportunity like the fact that at the end uh, when they're leaving the video game tournament, Jimmy still has the safety pins in the back of his shirt from his like <laughs> number for the video game tournament. Mm. And they've just like left it on him. I just don't think they are very, I don't know, considerate parents. There's a bit where Bo Bridges is, um, he drives through the night and wakes Christian Slater up in the passenger seat and says, can you check where we're going? And he, he has no idea he's been driving in the wrong direction. But he checks the map on the corner while he's driving. Literally almost kills himself. And I'm <laughs> just thinking, keep keep him away from Jimmy. Keep him away. I think the other main legacy from this movie and why it has this cult attention beyond the climax with Super Mario Bros. 3 is the sequence involving the power glove Mm-hmm. So what is a power glove? Well, the Nintendo Entertainment System had its fair share of accessories. It had the Zapper light gun, which we had. There was also some sort of helmet with a visor, kind of like Google Glass with voice command microphone, which apparently never worked. There was the uh, Rob robot, the ROB, robotic operating buddy, which you could program to like lift up little plastic circles <laughs> i'm sure there was more to it imagine if it went full mac and me and it was all about getting rob back to his uh, robotic people yeah like short circuit sort of oh yeah yeah i miss i miss films about a group of kids basically ripping off et i think there needs to be more et ripoffs the introduction of the power glove i think this was the first appearance i don't think it'd been released at least at the time of filming and mm-hmm. The power glove is a glove which has the controls for the Nintendo on the wrist and back of the hand, I think. You need to connect Infinity Stones to it as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's the Infinity Gauntlet. 
But also, I guess there's some sort of motion control, or it's got buttons inside the fingers or something. I've actually never used one, because uh, I've heard that they don't work. Yes, uh, the sequence in which the character Lucas uses the power glove to wipe the floor of Jimmy in a racing game. Even though Jimmy doesn't even play it, I think Jimmy is just spooked, isn't he? I haven't got a glove. This is bullshit. <laughs> um, but the whole sequence where we watch him use it, I'm watching it thinking, you're not really controlling that. It's not It's not that good, is it? No. I just couldn't conceive how it'd be more useful because, you know, the, a controller is meant to disappear in your hands and, and this is sort of one of those controllers where it seems like it'll be a lot of effort to get to the same level of, of expertise and skill. It's like the motion controls in, like, Mario Kart on the Wii or something. Like... Did anyone ever use that and drive better than using a stick? So, you the wizard? No, he is. <laughs> <laughs> this guy? I don't get it. Is he like a poster child for someone? <laughs> for your information, butthead, he's headed for the video championships in Los Angeles. Oh. Is that right? Well, let's just see how good he is then. Guys? Pick any game you want. I'm good at all of them. I have 97 of them. You know all 97 of them? love the power glove. It's so bad. Yeah, well, uh, just keep your power gloves off her, pal, huh? There's some weird dialogue in this as well. It's like when he, when we're introduced to Lucas and we're told he's trying to say how good he is at games, he says, I'm good at all of them. I got 97 of them. And it's like, <laughs> it just seemed two, two statements, which... I don't know. I guess there's a number they have to... I think later on in the film, uh, Jimmy needs to learn 97 games to be really good for some reason. Yeah. It's like it's like a, a pub quiz. He needs to know everything he needs to know about all the subjects. Yeah, and they yeah. call up the Nintendo Gameplay Council yeah. hotline to get all the cheats and tips. Back in the day, kids, you couldn't just go onto game FAQs or just Google. Like, whenever I'm... I'm a... I'm a busy man now and whenever i'm stuck on anything on zelda breath of the wild for more than a minute i just google breath of the wild master sword and then i get everything i need to know <laughs> but back in the day you'd have to phone 
a hotline and the guy would tell you such useful information like now watch out for flaming fireballs like duh Mm. (laughs) but then later on the dad shouts look out for the mushroom and like no you're meant to you're meant to go to the mushrooms i don't know i should have written this film rory (laughs) it just needs a remake if they were to make this film for the 21st century I think it could be improved upon. I'm not going to lie. I think there's things that could change. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they would ever have a line as immortal as, I love the power of love. It's so bad. Well, it's funny. That line gets repeated in, in gifts throughout the land. It's quite iconic. But the delivery seems just a bit lame. It's a bit limp. It's a bit like when you re- see... um. The Terminator and Arnie says, I'll be back for the first time. He didn't know it was going to be an iconic line. He didn't say, he didn't know that he'd be saying it in every Terminator film after that. It's just he goes, I'll be back. Yeah. It's not like he went, I'll be back. Then winks. I think it helps though, because with the Lucas scenes, they have this sort of mystical panpipe music in the background and that sort of. You know, when the Ziploc Nez bag comes out with all his games or they mm. have the aluminium case they reveal the power glove from and you have that... Yeah. I mean, one thing I love seeing in 80s movies are bully scenes and I watch what the background bullies are doing. The other bullies in the posse, you know, Billy Zane in Back to the Future. I watch them. They've got no lines, but they've got to look mean while the main bully is saying his stuff and... I saw one of these guys, one of these kids who hang around Lucas is uh, Toby Maguire. Did you spot him? Yeah, he's uh, at the video game championships at Universal Studios and he is the cutest little goon you've ever seen. <laughs> I know, he wouldn't harm a fly. <laughs> so he, so he's tasked with bullying things smaller than a fly. I guess he's kind of like every kind of bully gang has like the really tiny one who hasn't isn't old enough to be a member of the gang but hangs around with them anyway because mm. it's safer to be part of the gang than against them and like the bully will beat someone up and then afterwards they'll just go yeah or maybe he's the fall guy so when uh, Lucas inevitably shanks somebody with a flick knife that he's bought because he's got bored of his power glove uh, he puts the murder weapon in uh, Toby Maguire's hands and, and races off Anything for you, Lucas. <laughs> yeah, I never talked. I was, oh, I lost my childhood and juvie, but I never talked. And can I, can I, can I, can I, can I use your power glove now? No, <laughs> I sold it. If the power glove don't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> God. Oh dear. Moving on. There's one other. I recognise that person cameo at the video game tournament. The guy signing them in is. Lee Arenberg, who would later be in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies as Mackenzie Crook's pirate partner. I wonder where I'd seen him. And um, he gives a big performance. He lets uh, kids into the tournament. He makes the most of his 20 seconds of screen time. Well, then some actors in this film don't make the most of their 90 minutes of screen time. (laughs) Shall we talk about the video game tournament, the big climax then? Well, I mean, how do you think this film handles the playing of the games because again this is a video game movie it's reason detra is showing off video games but there's probably about five minutes of footage 
of video games, if if that. It's always very fleetingly shown. And I don't know if it's a problem with the fact that these are just NES games, nothing against NES games, but, you know, there's there's, there's not much to see, perhaps. There's a lot of just sequences of just when video game is featured, it's just full screen of what they're playing. And it will mm. usually be like, you see the person with the controller, then you see the game that they're playing, but you don't really see the person playing and the game footage playing too mm. much, probably because of the reasons we said it doesn't look that they're actually controlling it. The points don't match up with what they're doing. But there's just quite mm. a lot of full screen. Here's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Here's Mega Man, you know. It doesn't help that they're mostly platformers. It's either platformers or racing games. And, you know, maybe it would have been better to have had some puzzles thrown in there. Or, where's Wally? (laughs) (laughs) Where's Wally? But, again, that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's just that all games look pretty similar back then in the the late 80s. But, uh, yeah, I I think you're right. If there was, like, a wide shot or an over-the-shoulder shot of Jimmy playing a video game that would have been more interesting but that probably would have made it a nightmare trying to match what they were doing with the the flow of the scene well the cinematography for this film was by Robert David Yeoman who is probably better known nowadays for being a collaborator on Wes Anderson movies so he did the cinematography oh, wow. for Grand Budapest Hotel and anything involving lots of symmetry but just speaking of the look of this film and specifically the tournament like generally the film is as you said it's like dusty landscapes and deserts and 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 such but once they get to video armageddon they've created this strange sci-fi movie set which i kind of enjoyed but removed from the rest of the movie and i am absolutely fascinated by the host <laughs> because he looks like a cross between michael keaton michael ironside and michael barrymore oh my god that's perfect he's dressed in a sort of future outfit with like a sort of see-through tie which makes him look like uh, some sort of lackey in total recall that arnie is just about to kill the running man host like i love you and who do you love yeah but he's not even like game show hosty he's got this he's british he's got this weird raspy voice and it's just like i would allow him near my children he's just like come over here and play super mario there's a moment when he introduced like the lady the girl uh mora and he plays with her pigtails from behind and just like stop is everyone in this film just awful? Maybe that's the message. Don't trust grown-ups. Unless they're spanky. I do really like the design of this set, but it does seem completely at odds with the rest of the film. I sort of feel like not just the sort of the video game tournament set, but even just the stuff at Universal Studios, it's feels quite hijinks focused and like, I think films set at theme parks or at movie studios and this combines the two kind of feels a little bit, like, thrilling and exciting, but not because of anything the film actually does, just by virtue of having it at the back, as the backdrop. It does stand out as being quite different to the rest of the movie, this little segment. Also, it just feels like it took forever to get here. It takes, like, a, over an hour to get here. It really does. And I checked my watch... 30 minutes in. I thought it had already gone on for an hour. 
and perhaps if they had shown the tournament being constructed or they did that ticking clock thing where they they had to I mean they mentioned they have to get there in a few days but it, it really feels like they could have made it a bit more of a panic to get there <laughs> I don't know <laughs> there's a moment when Jimmy is chased when Jimmy and the other kids are chased around Universal Studios and the host has to go on because for some reason this has to be done live there's no video cameras or anything they can just wait for Jimmy to be found <laughs> but the host has to stall and stall and stall and Jimmy is there right at the final possible moment he could have been there again another adult indifferent to the plight of a missing child <laughs> no one asks where are the parents like they get they hitch all yeah. these rides they go to bars they go to bus stops uh even spanky who drives them in his truck is just like oh it's just a favor or whatever but it's just like yeah he might know Haley, but it's just like and these two kids do they have parents i mean the kids do seem to be fairly on it they uh, early on fred savage makes a, a really big campfire for him and jimmy and i was just sat there thinking he's making a better campfire than i ever could <laughs> but but the dad he treats jimmy being missing kind of as an annoyance it's really weird like i think nowadays you'd think a child going missing, you'd have the parents crying, either crying every night or trying not to show emotion and just try to deal with it. But he's just like, I'm, I'm just going to stuff my face eating donuts. I've got work to do. My tree surgery business or whatever he has. He's like, he just seems to be really bothered by all this. And then he gets distracted by video games, which is kind of cute. But again, man, your, your child <laughs> is missing. But... You know, he's playing Zelda. He's almost got the scroll weapon, he exclaims at one point. He almost beat the Mecha Turtle. And I just picture Jimmy's like body dead at the side of the road. And he says, well, I almost beat the Mecha Turtle. It's not been an entire loss. <laughs> so the final battle after playing the games through the um, elimination rounds is... Shock Horror and Mario Bros. 3 and all the kids act really pissy that they weren't told there'd be a game they never played before like as if it wouldn't be a level playing field I mean for God's sake Hayley <laughs> this is the one time where you don't have to have practiced 97 video games it's like Jimmy should have this in the bag you know but we decided to give this a go ourselves didn't we just before we recorded, we challenged each other to 10 minutes of Mario Brothers 3, just like they do in the film. Yes, who could rack up the highest score is their challenge. And most of the time when you do these challenges, it's who can complete a level quickest or there's other rules. But yeah, making us have to do a challenge where it was the highest score within 10 minutes made us have to really think about playing this game i mean we've played this game many times over many years mm. and obviously the kids in the movie had never played it before so it was a little bit different but i was like wait is finishing a level more points than trying to get more points within the level and mm. how much is a goomba worth i was chasing one up mushrooms then realizing they don't provide any points so yeah it totally refreshed my enjoyment of the game and I think I had a great time, not just because I kicked your ass. <laughs> hey, it was very close until I got stuck on one level. 
I did a bad move. Mm. I used my warp whistle, went to world three, ended up on level two of that world, forgetting it's just filled with water and cheap cheeps and it's just a pain. So I just got stuck there and I lost all momentum. So I ended up with a score of 61,890. Uh, I got 77,000. No, 778,640. Sorry, say that again. You didn't get 700. It's 778640. Sorry, 778640. Yeah. 778640. But that's too many digits. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just open up the old thing. So we'll stop. I mean, we'll cut because you said. Yeah, um, I said my score and then I was waiting for you to say yours. Seven. Oh, it's just one eight. No way. It's just one seven. Sorry. So and I. So <clears throat> so you said your score. I got seven seven eight six four zero. So that'd be seventy eight thousand six hundred and forty. Does that sound better? Yeah. I got seventy eight thousand six hundred and forty. Uh, but yeah, you were all right. It was very close. We died a couple of times it's funny watching the film and seeing fred savage again apparently his character has never ever ever seen this game before but he he sort of knows instinctively he needs to get a warp whistle but you get this warp whistle and you think of how many seconds do i want to waste warping to a location and will that first level have lots of points it was um i think it's a new way to play i think we're going to challenge each other again in the future yeah maybe we shall but yes, Jimmy wins. Everything is fine. I mean, imagine if he hasn't. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure they would have learned something on the day. Well, as as we know, this whole video game thing does nothing for Jimmy. He, like, they leave and he's in the car looking out of the car window. Like, nothing has happened. This is just another day. For him... It was Tuesday, <laughs> but then for then he spots out of the window this dinosaur park, not Jurassic Park, but the dinosaur exhibits where that's where his healing happens. And, you know, if this film, if Haley and Corey and Jimmy were driving along in Spanky's truck and drove past those dinosaurs, Jimmy would have flipped his lid, shouted California, California, California. He would have got out made his peace with the dinosaurs and I think his interests in video games would have totally evaporated. Well, apparently there is a two and a half hour cut of this film. At least that was the original Bloody length hell. of time. Would have had a bit more backstory, mainly related to Jimmy and Corey, but I don't see how that would have reconciled the video gameness and the family drama aspects of the no. movie it just seems like it would just piled even more family drama on top and even less yeah. percentage of video games it reminds me of when people analyze how much batman actually appears on screen in a batman movie and it's often vanishingly small <laughs> and it's like do you want to put more video game stuff in this film or more family drama family drama it is <laughs> <laughs> whatever's cheapest so at the end of the day is this deserving of the title cult classic? 
do you think it's recommendable? Uh, I think it's really only of appeal to people who grew up of that time. And even then, because that would mean us, it's really not a lot to go on. Like, I enjoyed seeing a Nintendo Entertainment System being played by Christian Slater. The bit when Christian Slater just brought out his Nintendo Entertainment System and plugged it in and went make me so nostalgic for a time when you'd buy a games console and there was not a four gigabyte update or a 30 gigabyte update and just plugged in and go. Yeah, no online download connection and patches needed. <laughs> so on that level, there's that kind of nostalgia for a time when games were a bit clunkier, you know, but I, I sort of feel like you'd just get the same wave of nostalgia looking at video game commercials of that era on YouTube and it would be over a lot quicker. You know, when you describe the idea of this film, it's kids running away from home to compete in a video game tournament. It should be sort Mm. of exciting or living out some sort of dream fantasy that kids have. Kind of like, say, Home Alone, which came out a year later. You know, it's like, what would happen Mm. if you had the home to yourself? What would happen if you ran away from home and, you know, to compete in a video games tournament? What would that be like i mean jimmy as, as we said jimmy just seems to connect to video games for no good reason but what if it was always his dream and like his parents didn't see any value in video games but he he's going to show them that he can become a hero doing something that he loves but he doesn't give a crap through this setup you would expect there to be some amusing set pieces or you know some hijinks or slapstick and There's nothing like that. There's no real jokes. There's just uh, Putnam and the dad, like, running into each other and smashing up each other's cars. Like, if one of them had a gun, if one (laughs) of them had a gun, there would be, you know, they would be shooting each other, which is chilling to consider. Or, like, you know, the kids, they don't really do any, like, pranks or hijinks. It's not like, oh, we made all this money, let's go to the hotel room and get room service and have a fun time. It's just, like very drab and there's no real fun stuff happens the funniest thing in the film is when fred savage puts on a zombie mask to scare Haley, and he just like <laughs> she just punches him in the face really hard punch like for want of a better word savage yeah yeah punch to the face none of the kid stuff is fun no one seems to be having no. a good time they don't get into any scrapes or japes or like, the thing is, like, usually there's, like, a comedy villain, but I can't tell whether the villain's meant to be comedic. He's meant to be sort of inept, but I just found him too disturbing and odd to really, like, be the sort of, like, wet bandits or sticky bandits kind of hmm. vibe that you get in, say, Home Alone. I mean, I know these films are very different, but I'm just trying to think of something where there is, like, kids being pursued by a grown-up in this sort of same kind of like dream fantasy scenario. Well, I think a lot of kids' films of this nature, these adventure films, like Home Alone, they are wish fulfillment. And for most of the time on the road, it seems life is a massive drag for the kids. And as I said, Jimmy is like catatonic the entire time and spends half his time being shouted at by Fred Savage. And um, 
yeah, Haley is just uh, along for the ride. I feel like maybe this film is deliberately boring to discourage kids from running away from home. Maybe it's like if they had done all these wish fulfillment stuff, it would be like encouraging for kids to leave home and go on the road. And it's just like, no, actually, the road's really boring. I once had a dream where I did hitchhike when I was very young. I woke up and I told our mum this and she said, don't ever do that in real life. And it scared the shit out of me (laughs) and I've never forgotten it. Scared straight. I myself, I'm I'm in a similar boat. It's a great idea for kids to go on a road trip. I love road trip movies myself because they're very episodic, but you need these episodes to have something of interest. And nine times out of ten, it's just Jimmy playing video games better than the other guy. The video game plot doesn't connect to the family drama plot, so neither plot really holds my interest. We've tackled some films which have received negative reviews on release, but then we've watched them since they've become kind of cult favourites, and they've actually been a lot of fun. Like the Super Mario Brothers movie, like Street Fighter, there's a lot of charm to those watched um, decades removed. But this, I think, is a very middle-of-the-road 80s movie. There's no there's no real charm to it. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting in what it's trying to do the fact that it isn't this exciting thrill ride family adventure that it is just like oh no it's actually this very sort of serious family drama which i guess is like interesting that that this is the film that exists but it doesn't mean it's very entertaining to watch (laughs) ultimately i mean i don't know what's Uh, stipulations nintendo brought to the negotiation table but i doubt it was this film this kid's film celebrating video games needs to have a subplot involving a dead sister and we want to be very clear on this (laughs) (laughs) otherwise you're not getting that nintendo seal of quality i think this film can be summed up in how in an interview with luke edwards who played jimmy he was asked whether he received any like nintendo promotional stuff um as a result of being in this film And apparently he was promised by multiple sources that he would have a copy of Super Mario Bros. 3, but it never arrived. Oh, and he's never played it to this day. It's too painful. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he has. But I think that's like uh, encapsulates the feeling of this film. It's just like, oh, yeah, there'll be Mario 3. There'll be Mario 3. Oh, that's the (laughs) end of the movie. (laughs) I'm glad we've done it. It's uh, another iconic video game movie that we've now put paid to but what are we going to do next our next film is an adaptation of one of the biggest fighting game franchises out there it is tekken yeah it's nice to do something like a big name franchise although i um, am aware the film did not change the face of cinema as we know it but uh i've never seen it so we'll we'll chat about that next time in the meantime though how can people follow games on the film You can find us on all the various social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GamesOnFilmPod. You can email us, GamesOnFilmPod at gmail.com, and all episodes of the podcast are available on soundcloud.com slash GamesOnFilmPod, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, be it Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere. All links and information about the show are available on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast, and you can also find links there on ways you can support the show. You can find us, respectively, on our own Twitters. I'm at Rory Steele. 
I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Uh, very nicely done, Rory. So, until next time, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Two, one, go! Okay, it's world. Oh, right. Oh, this is exciting. I'm imagining um, a fairly creepy looking presenter shouting behind me. And. Oh, I'm at the little white square. Usually I'd get that for a warp whistle, but I don't want to waste time getting a warp whistle I'm not going to use. Because Fred Savage seems really convinced that that wasting time in warp zone is the way to get most points well yeah i mean that's the th- oh no i don't oh shit i don't know whether points are you get points for whistles that's the thing you don't get points for whistles I've... i mean i'm gonna try and smash every block in this in this level for, for the points that's the thing i don't know the like the points worth of mario you know it's like how much is a goomba how oh much... shit oh how much i've already fallen down a pipe how much is a Goomba? How much is a is a Koopa Trooper? I just don't know the points value system. Well, you might notice every time you pick up a coin, it says one hundred. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> thousands. Ah, no, I, I I fell down a hole. I can't believe it. Did you fall? Was it the fall, the hole with like the wooden blocks either side yeah. of it? Yeah, I'm just being true. Same here. I'm trying to be very like diligent with my points gathering. So I I played this level probably 200 million times and I don't think I've ever fallen down that hole until today yeah uh, but uh, oh shit I almost went down the same hole <laughs> and also uh, like uh, you know chaining enemies will get you more points you know if you jump on one Goomba and then another Goomba um, do you think this is going to turn us into those Twitch players No, just no one's going to watch this.